A contrast is not the same as having to choose only between two options. Now here Jesus is giving a contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we get to the end and see clearly that the tax collector is commended and the Pharisee is condemned. But it's not as if these two men represent the only options. Jesus is not giving an all-encompassing either-or with just these two characters. If we stop to remember, outward appearance does not always match our inner desire or motive. And sometimes that's very good. What if our worst thoughts always showed themselves outwardly. None of us would go out in public. But sometimes our inward behavior is worse than what we intended. You thought you were doing something good and someone or everyone else took it the wrong way. So Jesus says, be careful not to judge. But then there are those people who carefully do good just on the outside whenever anybody is looking just to promote themselves because on the inside they're vain and selfish. Now, Pharisees were the most outwardly religious Jews of their day. The particular Pharisee in Jesus' story had, like most Pharisees would have had, some very commendable qualities. Assuming that he was telling the truth, and he likely was, he was honest in his business dealings, he practiced sexual morality, he fasted, he gave a tenth of all of his income, he tithed. Now, all of those are good things. Our world would benefit if everyone did those things. The tax collector was a despised person in Judea because usually it was a Jew who collaborated with the occupying and oppressive Romans doing exactly what they were called, tax collector, forcing the citizens, the conquered, to pay the conquerors for all the things that they were doing wrong. On top of that... Tax collectors usually demanded more than the tax itself, and they used this as a lucrative source of income for themselves. Tax collectors were considered guilty of everything that the Pharisee announced his innocence about. So is Jesus saying that God prefers us to be despicable rather than good? Is he using this contrast to draw our attention to how we appear before others? Of course not. Do outward issues matter? Yes, in their proper place. But this is something else. This particular teaching of Jesus goes to the core of how we come to God. Now, I don't know how many times in Scripture God gives some kind of welcoming invitation for us, for Him to be our God, our refuge, our helper, our Savior, our Father, our friend. 
And yet, with those things, there are requirements. Perhaps protocol is a good way to understand that. If God is God, then we need to come to him with the proper protocol, an attitude that says, you are God. I am not the one calling the shots. And when we do this, it honors who God is. It puts us in a place where we can receive good things that God wants to give us. Now, Jesus tells us that this particular Pharisee focused on himself. A vain and selfish attitude is probably the biggest obstacle that stands between God and people who are estranged from him. God is honored, and we are actually rewarded when we do good things if it's with a desire to honor and obey and please the Lord. But if we try to use good things just to justify ourselves, if we expect God's favor simply because of the things that we do, we build our own wall that cuts God off. Now here was the tax collector, and he was not doing good. He was siding with evil rulers. He was helping to oppress his own people. He was using a rotten system for his own advantage. But somewhere in the mix of all those awful things, he became aware of it. He seemed suddenly to realize that he needed God's love and mercy more than he needed the benefits of his conniving position. And so from deep within the core of his being came this humble and honest cry, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That is the attitude of heart that tears the wall down, that allows God to be God. And when God is allowed to be God, when we take the wall away, God's gift is always mercy. And so if you are aware of some things in your life that are not right, let those things show you your need of God's mercy. And if you will sincerely pray, God be merciful to me, a sinner, God will give you mercy, and mercy will change your life. In this context, we aren't to worry about the other guy. Whether someone appears good or not so good, we don't know what's in their hearts. We're to look into our own heart and say, God, be merciful to me. When I read the gospel for today and began thinking about it, one of my first thoughts was, you know, on the outside, I'm much more like the Pharisee. I seek to live a meticulously moral life. I read the Bible and pray every day. My wife and I tithe regularly. I even try to fast sometimes, but I'm not very good at it. And everyone who follows Jesus needs to practice an obedience that models good things. But no matter how good I appear to be, 
not one good thing that I do buys God's favor. If God does not have mercy on me, no matter how good I look, I have no hope. And I hope all of us know that that's true. No matter how much goodness we attain, how good we look, we all fall short of loving as fully as God does. None of us have yet attained to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ to which Paul called the Ephesians. If God does not have mercy, we do not have hope. But the whole gospel is based on this. God is merciful. And so each day we come to him believing and trusting and rejoicing that we can pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner.